Hi, this is Gary York, founder of GGG, Give God Glory. For the past eight years, my wife Gail and I have been hosting a tent revival meeting in Waterman, Illinois, where the body of believers can come and encounter the presence of God and are encouraged to go out and minister to the world around them. We hope you enjoy this message from our recent gathering this past summer. For more information on GGG or to connect with us, please visit our website at gggministry.com. Now sit back and enjoy this short message. First and foremost, there's an angel in our midst. My wife is with us. Can you stand up? Stand up. Show everyone your belly. That's number three in there. We have, our, uh, we have two kids at home, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and I haven't seen them since last Saturday, so I'm excited to leave you guys and go see them in the morning. But I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do tonight. Um, I also I want to honor Theo and Rachel. So it's kind of wild. How many of you have never heard me before, just so I know? Wow. All right. Awesome. Uh, I had the opportunity for four and a half years. You know, we talk a lot about Todd and lifestyle Christianity and that's because that's where we all met, um, was through Todd and Lifestyle. But I had the opportunity to work there for four and a half years, and Theo was the one who introduced me to Todd. And, uh, and it, was, it was wild because he didn't know that in my life I, had, I was a used car salesman and I was pastoring at the same time. And uh, I started listening to Todd, and my life started changing and getting flipped upside down. And I remember seeing you at like a family event or something, and you said, you know, there's this guy, Todd White, coming to my church. I feel like you should be there. And they sewed into Emily and I, and, and we went to Orlando. And I was their first employee in 2016, and four and a half years later, um, the Lord asked me to step out and launch this church that now we're, that I'm running with Joey and our team. And full circle now, uh, Theo is his executive pastor at the church. And so it's, it's incredible how God ordains the steps of the righteous. And oftentimes you think you're stepping out in faith, but really you're being obedient. And so I encourage you to follow your heart, follow peace, follow that voice within you that says, this is really going to cause faith, but God, I'm going to listen. Because I could say every single one of us, that's been our journey. It's been our story. As you seem to step out and go, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not qualified to do this. But God finds the unqualified. He's not looking for the qualified. He's looking for the available. And all we have to do is be available. And so, uh, and I want to honor, of course, Gary and Gail and Solomon, this preacher of the gospel. Hey, I, I just heard it coming out a little bit. Wow. What's that? You want my session? Is that what you said? I, sorry. Um, that same trip to Tokyo... I saw Gail walking through the airport with an entire Keurig just so that we could have coffee because we don't know what to expect in these countries. Uh, but they are, they are the ex- perfect representation of what it looks like to serve. And I believe that one day I'm going to look at them in heaven at a higher rank. Mm. Man, we're fighting as the church and God is close to the humble. We've got to stop the debate and be more like Gary and Gail. Amen. Can you guys stand with me? We're going to worship for a minute. I'm going to get these sandals out of here, if that's okay. Thank you. And as you lift your hands, 
I have an expectation for tonight. I feel like with what Theo and Solomon brought, so powerful. I feel like my life has been changed again. But I feel like the Lord has been stirring things up because what I've been sensing in my heart is him asking a generation. And if you're, especially if you're a young person in here, I really want you to listen close tonight because I believe that God is asking a generation if they're willing to pay a price for revival. And, you know, I've always been someone that's like, you know, revival's on the inside and and I believe that, but I, I believe that we are about to step into a move of the Spirit, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like we have never seen, because God's raising a generation that's done doing church. God's raising, and it, it has nothing to do with age. Like, I, I have a 70-year-old a, a couple in my church. They came to me, and they said, I'm so hungry, I just want to see it. And, and, and I believe that it has nothing to do with your age, where you're from, but there is a people that God's raising that's saying, we want a real encounter with a real Jesus, and we're done going through the motions, this religious system that we have set up, and God is looking for true worshipers in this hour that are going to usher in something that's going to cause creation to be answered, that cry that they have been crying for ages and ages to see the revealing of the sons of God people that believe what we teach, people that believe what comes out of their mouth. You know, my Bible says that we lay our hands on the sick and the sick recover. And in that same verse, it says that if you drink deadly poison, it won't affect you. This is not an hour to run away, hide and scared because of a virus. It's time that we start believing the full gospel. Like he said, these signs will follow them that believe they'll cast out devils. We don't like that in church because it makes it too rowdy. Things are going to get rowdy tonight. It, 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 should be, it should be normal. Raising the dead is part of our kingdom. It should be normal. Like what? I, I, my little three-year-old prays for people in public with me. He's, I think, more an evangelist than I am. At Target the other day, he looked at the guy. He said, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves mommy. And he went through all of us. And we have seen, he has seen so many people healed in public. Man, what would it look like if at 10 years old, I'm getting called into parent-teacher conferences because he's casting out devils in his elementary school? Like... What would it look like if if raising the dead was normal to him at 10 years old? There has to be a generation that models that for our kids. The Smith Wigglesworth and all these men were amazing, but what would it look like if that hit an entire body? So with our hands lifted, we're going to ask God for a move of his spirit tonight. Worship, and I want you to listen, worship is not generated. Worship is joined. We're, we're not here to create an atmosphere. We're here to join one. There is right now in this moment, within eternity, there is worship forever saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. All we're doing tonight is we're simply joining in to a greater reality. So with every voice, I surrender. I surrender. your voice every voice I surrender come with your fire God
One more time, like a rushing wind, build it with all your heart, every instrument with all your heart. Like a 
Time, see it again like a rushing wind. Like a rushing wind. Oh, come breathe within me, Jesus. Come and have your way. Come and have your way, Lord. Oh, oh, like a mighty storm. beyond being worthy of our yes Lord I pray that you raise up radical worshipers offensive kind of worshipers undignified kind of worshipers that you just you just can't seem to turn them off mark us with glory tonight in Jesus name and everybody said amen okay be seated be seated thank you Are you able to stay with me the whole time? Are you able to stay with me the entire time and play a pad? Awesome. All right. Hey, by the way, it's Gail's birthday. I just remembered that. So. I know, right? That was the Lord reminding me, actually. So at the end, maybe we can, like, sing you happy birthday or something, make you feel really uncomfortable, do whatever we can, lay hands See Gail touched by the Holy Spirit. I'd love to just see you like drunk in the Lord. Maybe. I know I've seen you drunk in the Lord. Think it's time for another, you know? I love it. She's going, hey. <laughs> Gail. All right. I, uh, so uh, many of you know, um, ha- maybe have heard of my last name. I, it was interesting. I was just praying and thinking and you know Rachel is my first cousin for those of you that don't know she used to have the last name Hin before the Greek boys came in and interrupted our family um, but we have a, a an uncle by the name of Benny Hinn that some like some hate some watches YouTube videos of Star Wars and all kinds of stuff that's out there you can YouTube it on your own time uh, but we grew up a little bit different I think she would agree with me I grew up you know, where in high school people would wave their jackets at me and say, fire on you. And um, again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can just YouTube Benny Hinn and you'll see what I'm talking about. But I grew up where I, I so subtly became bitter 
toward ministry. I didn't want to be in ministry. I didn't want to be in church. I said I would never, I would, I would tell my dad and my uncle, I will never preach. Mark my words, I'll never preach. And I would say I will never be a pastor ever. It's so interesting right now, the church that we have in Dallas, the building that we were in, it used to be run by a church called Calvary Christian Center. And they used to invite me to speak in the building that we're now in. And I would come in as a guest speaker. And I remember their worship leader one time said, you know, if you were a pastor, you'd be a revolutionary one. And I rebuked him. And I said, that's not the Lord. I'm not going to be a pastor. And now I'm pastoring in that same building that he gave me that word in. So it's pretty weird. But I got an F in my high school public speaking class. I'm I've always been terrified of public speaking until I died to myself. And, uh, but before that, I was bitter toward ministry. And, you know, I, growing up, I thought, you know, I just would love to be normal. Like, I'd love to have a, like a family one day and maybe do a, a job that is not in ministry. But you know what? I, I grew up and I heard this story and, and the Lord, and the Lord put it on my heart to share with you because I believe tonight what God wants to do is is he wants to inspire us to pay a price for something because salvation is free 100% there's nothing that you could do to earn it there's no good works that can get you into grace but the anointing that'll cost you something the calling on your life that'll take a cost that will take a yes and if it wasn't for the yes of those that have gone before me, you see, I'm not standing here today because I'm anointed. I'm standing here today because someone that I got under was anointed. And like Gary said, I love what he said about getting under somebody. Listen, my whole life has been standing behind men of God holding Bibles and serving them. There's something about honor that releases the anointing. There's something about honor that releases destiny. And so you can't be in authority unless you first learn how to be under it. And this young millennial generation has to learn some honor. This young generation that thinks you're lone wolves, I'm the next great evangelist, and there's no one you're submitted to, you are going to run until you just die out. And that's a strong statement. But we need each other. We are the body of Christ. I can't tell my left hand I have no need of it. Like, how many of you know Jesus is the head and we are the body? Amen. So if I take my left hand and I remove it and someone says, pick up this box and I have an assignment on my life to pick up a box, but I only have one hand, I might be able to do it and use my leg, but I won't be able to do it as efficiently. When it comes to my relationship with Jesus, I don't need anyone for that. But when it comes to my assignment, I need Gary. I need Joey. I need Tanner. I need Theo. When it comes to what God's called me to, I need you. Because the Ark of the Covenant wasn't carried by one man, but a priesthood. Actually, when one man touched it, it killed him. In 1 Chronicles 13, they brought it in on a cart pulled by oxen, trying to be innovative, make it easy. They didn't go and seek God's voice. Just read it, 1 Chronicles 13. But he went to the people and thought, what would be good to do? Like we have church today for the people rather than for God. And they they didn't follow, David said, we didn't follow the order of God. And his friend Uzziah died. Uzzah died when he touched the ark, when it stumbled. 
And they sent it to the house of Edom for three months. And for three months, that house was blessed in all that they did. So then he comes back and they change a few things. And one thing that they changed was it wasn't on a cart pulled by oxen. You see today, what we've done in church is we've put the church on a cart pulled by oxen. We make sure it's, listen, don't go more than an hour and a half. Be careful with inviting Solomon. I love it. It, we got to make sure they get to lunch on time so that they come back next week and they're happy. Visitors didn't die for the church. Jesus did. And what I love about what's happening in here, like you're coming here, you're sweating because you're hungry to be here. But we have made it innovative. We've made it easy. We've made it comfortable. And Christianity is not about our comfort. It's about saying, God, if I'm going to give my life to you, it's saying, don't spare me. It's those that know how to rejoice when they're persecuted. Like we think we're being persecuted today. We haven't seen anything. So they come in chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles, and now they put the Ark of the Covenant on an entire priesthood, and no one dies, because I believe what God is seeking is a generation that will put their shoulder under the glory, bring it into cities without, listen, without personal benefit. I need you. We're connected. When it comes to my assignment, when it comes to bringing the glory of God into cities, into nations, we need each other for that. So we need to learn as a young generation what it means to honor those that have gone before us. And I've paved a way, like I I have seen my father pay a price. I've seen him with the days with a church of 30 people and people were picketing outside of our church in Orlando because he preached, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. It's imagine that it's in the Bible. He preached that the kingdom of God doesn't come by observation, but it's in you. And while the whole church was trying to fly away on a mountain, God's raising a people in secret that are ready to establish the kingdom of God on earth. People picketed outside of our church for that. I remember seeing it as a kid. But I was thinking today about the story just with Rachel and Theo being here, the story about, you know, we, none of us would be here if it wasn't for my Uncle Benny. And I, I don't know exactly what, it was somewhere in the 70s, way before I was born. He gave his life to the Lord in Toronto, Canada, and my, our whole family grew up Greek Orthodox, and, and they were deep in the church. My grandfather was ahead in the church found out 30 years after he passed away that he was actually in the Mossad in Israel, which is like the CIA of the United States. This was a strong, tough man that was feared in Jaffa, Israel. They moved to Canada during the Six-Day War, and when they had moved, my Uncle Benny shortly after found Jesus in his high school and started having encounters with the Lord in his bedroom. And the whole family came against him. My grandfather said, if you if you preach Jesus, I will disown you. And so he had no friends. He had a stuttering problem. He couldn't get any words out. My dad would tell you that my Uncle Benny couldn't hold a conversation like this because he stuttered as a child. And so they all made fun of him and shunned him. And my dad would tell me I would come home. Hey, buddy, you can totally just let it know. Don't even make that face. You can stay up here all night. I miss my kids, so I might just hold them at some point. Um, My dad would tell me he would work late and he would come home and he would go into the hallway 
trying to get into his room and the door would be locked. And he'd look under the crack of the door and he'd hear crying and he'd see my uncle on his knees. And he would bang on the door saying, let me in, upset because my uncle is now losing it after this Jesus. My uncle would cry from the other side of the door and just say, I just need five more minutes. My dad would fall asleep in the hallway and he said, I would finally, when he would wake me up in the hallway and open the door and let me into the room, he said, I would walk into the room and I would feel something tangible in that bedroom. And it led all, there's eight of them just on my dad's side, six boys, two girls, God bless my grandmother. And they were, and they're still nuts. Like they're, our whole family is psychotic in an interesting, like we don't do side hugs in our family. We're not like Americans, like you guys, like we beat each other, tackle each other, bite each other. I squeeze my kids. My little one-year-old girl has cheeks for days. And I think I have major cute aggression because sometimes I want to kick her, but I don't want to kick her because she's like, you know, I don't want to hurt her, but she's just so cute. I don't know what to do with myself. Anyone, any parent know what I'm talking about? Like you see a puppy and you just like yell, it's so fluffy and you want to, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but maybe our family's nuts, but like we punch each other. And that means I love you. It makes no sense whatsoever. But my, all of the brothers and the sisters one by one secretly came to my uncle and started giving their lives to Jesus because they saw it was on his life, all scared of my grandparents. Because my grandfather, this disciplinarian's like, ain't nobody following this Jesus like Benny is in my house. So they secretly were giving their lives to the Lord. And my uncle went to a service one time. They called, this pastor called him out, called him up to speak. He said, I can't speak. I, I stutter. And he got up to speak and God loosened his tongue and he preached with power. And so next thing you know, he prayed for somebody, got healed of cancer. And then he started holding Monday night meetings and hundreds, if not thousands of people started showing up. And all of the brothers and sisters secretly were serving at their brother's meeting. And the, my grandparents never knew about it. So one day my grandfather is reading the newspaper and he sees an ad in the newspaper with a picture of his son. This is true. And he decides, I'm going to go to the meeting. Didn't get upset, just decides I'm going to go to the meeting. So my dad said, I'll never forget my parents walking in and they sat in the, in the very back. And I'm waving from the back at your uncle like mom and dad are here. Mom and dad are here. And my uncle said, I couldn't even look in that direction. If I did, I would feel that stutter start coming back because I was terrified of my dad. And I thought for sure he would disown me. So I just didn't look that way. And I just preached and I did my normal thing. And his normal thing is not exactly normal. And I mean, it has to be God. You know what I'm saying? And so after the service, they walked out quietly. And my uncle said he went into the parking lot and waited till 2 a.m. Because he thought maybe they'd go to home and they'd go to sleep and he wouldn't have to talk to them. So he pulls into the house. He sneaks into the living room and he said he's shaking, walking to the living room. And they're both sitting on the couch waiting for him. My grandfather tells him to come over and he sits down. And my grandfather said, I did not see my son up there tonight. That had to be God. We want to know the Jesus that you know. And they got on their knees and gave their lives to Jesus. Without just one yes. Think, just, just let's think for a minute. Just that one yes with everyone coming against him. Just that one price. I wouldn't be here. Theo and Michael got saved in his meeting 
Rachel wouldn't be singing, worshiping. I definitely don't think I'd be a Christian because my dad is, I think without Jesus, my dad would be, just have zero hope. He's Arab and a little bit, you know. But you know, the price that I've seen my family pay, the price that I've seen my father pay is the only reason that I'm standing here today. And so I want to address a young generation that God is asking, what will you pay to see a move of the Holy Spirit? The stadiums that we've seen filled, the the healings that we've seen. I've seen someone's tumor in his meeting. I've seen a tumor just fall off someone's neck. It was normal to me growing up and seeing people get up out of wheelchairs. That That was a common thing. Understanding the presence and being familiar with the anointing was normal for me. I remember I had my first encounter with the Lord at 10 years old in church, and I was that kind of kid where, you know, if my dad was off that day while he was preaching, I would let him know, like, there wasn't really like an anointing today as a kid. The problem with me was that I was in the presence of God my whole life without the fear of the Lord. And the danger is, is you can be in his presence without the fear of the Lord and become numb to that presence. And so I went through life, went and got in high school and did everything that the world would do. I was an undercover 007 Christian. And so I thought, but my life looked no different from the world Monday through Saturday. I lived in California for, hey buddy, I lived in California for most of my life. We moved to Dallas, Texas. I was pursuing music, I was pursuing sports and everything under the sun, and uh, he's honestly totally fine. I love that he's up here right now. And uh, we had moved to Texas, and, we, and I left everything behind. The Lord had spoke to my dad, we're going to move to Dallas, and we're going to start a work. And when we got there, we had no community, we had no family. I got a job packing boxes in a warehouse and became really depressed and discouraged you know, growing up in our family, and they'd understand this, as a young kid, you know, you get prophecy after prophecy of your call to nations, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and sometimes I think we put more hope in the prophecy than we do him, and so I was just hanging on every prophecy, but didn't have any idea who Jesus was. I was a confessing Christian, but I wasn't one who believed in my heart. It says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So I'd made confession after confession when I would sin, and, and then I would sin again, and I'd make another confession. I mean, you know, there's a difference between being saved and being born again. I hadn't been born again yet. So I was depressed in this warehouse packing boxes. They allowed us to listen to headphones while we worked, and I listened to my own father preach. And I remember listening to him and realizing I've never really been listening at all. And as I listened to my own dad, my life was changed. I'd listened to his series from the 1980s, and my life flipped upside down in that warehouse. And I really gave my life to Jesus at the age of 20 years old in this warehouse, packing boxes. And I'll never forget it. God led me to Romans 8:29 that says, Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to him. And I realized, Lord, there's all this pressure to do something for you, to to fill the shoes of my dad, to fill the shoes of my uncle, to go and do something great. But when you realize that the Lord doesn't need you to do anything for him, the Lord just wants you. Like I heard Theo one time, I think I heard him say it last year. He said, for 30 years, Jesus lives in obscurity. And for three, he has a ministry. Like, why not the other way around? He gets baptized in the Jordan, comes up out of the water to the words of the father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
And Jesus had not worked one miracle yet. So the Lord's not like tallying up how many people you've got saved this week. He's interested in you. He's interested in your life. He's interested in you abiding with him. And so when I realized, Lord, you gave me a destiny before the world was, Ephesians 1, 4 says, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. How many of you enjoyed Solomon's message today about this God of creation? Oh my gosh. I got saved, honestly, again. I don't know what happened to me today. I wanted to just run to my closet when I was done. But we... Before you were ever born, God called your name and he gave you a destiny. And here's what he says that destiny is. Conform yourself to him. That's it. I heard Bill Johnson say, in the kingdom of God, there's lovers and there's workers and lovers get a lot more done. Conforming yourself to God, that word means to be superimposed. It's it's as if, you know, how many of you know we are the clay, he is the potter. It's as if he took his image, we being his image and his likeness, and he superimposed his face on clay, came out, and he said, wow, my image. This, this is what he wants. He just wants us. And so when that hit my heart and I realized, Lord, you don't need anything from me. You just want me. My whole life changed. But I was the Christian in Revelation 2, kind of where, that, where our church in America is at. That church that, you know, of the church of Laodicea, the one that kicked him out. He says, you do all the things right. Listen, I know, Rachel knows, we can sing the right song at the right time, the one that causes everyone to lift your hands, and you might think that he's moving, but we're just working on a gift. I know how to fabricate this thing. I've heard it so much. I've seen my uncle do it so much that I could probably wave my hand and make somebody fall and be the farthest thing away in my heart from God. I I knew how to put on the outfit of the pastor's kid. I grew up wearing suits, and I kind of like suits. Maybe we should bring them back, but Joey's saying no. We'll have a board meeting about it at church. But you know, I could put the suit on on Sunday morning. I could make it look really clean and nice, and, and I could lift my hands in worship because it was just something I had memorized without any anointing whatsoever. So it says in Revelation 2, you're patient, you're kind, you, you call out the apostles that aren't apostles, you hate evil, but I have one thing against you, you have left your first love. And that was me. And you keep reading and, and the Lord is knocking on this complacent church of Laodicea, asking, will you let me in to dine with you again? That word Laodicea, I learned this from Joey, he's our theologian at the, theologian at the church. I learned this from him, that Laodicea was on a trade route. And in and, and Ephesus, and I forget the other city, they connected two major cities, Laodicea did. And Laodicea was known for its garments, its factories and its garments. It was known for its banking, and it was known for its ointments. And in Revelation 2, in Revelation 3, actually, it comes later, and he says, Jesus says it like this. He says, I'm going to counsel you to buy gold from me, refined by fire. Like, you think you have your banks, you think you've got it figured out, but really, you have nothing. You think you have your garments, but really you're naked. So I'm going to counsel you to buy white garments from me. You think you have your ointment, but I'm going to counsel you to buy it from me and anoint your eyes that you might see again. You see, I think what's happening in the world with this whole COVID-19 thing is, listen, I, I know that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and God comes to give us life, but God didn't fall off his throne and he's not confused. He's not like, wow, can you believe it? 
didn't see that coming. Like, who do we think this, like he said, this omnipotent God is? Now, I'm not saying he allows bad stuff to happen in your life, but what I am saying is is that God is so wisdom. He doesn't just have wisdom. He is wisdom. He's so wisdom that he'll take everything and turn it for the good of those who love him. Like you, listen, you either have a past or you have a testimony. There's no in between. You can live from your past or you can have a testimony that you show the world and say, look what he's done for me. Like it it says, uh, Jesus would walk and he walked up to the man that had been laying on a mat. I'm like, I'm stir fry again. Like just Solomon, you're just what you get is what you get. There's no structure in this. So just, we're going to go on a roller coaster today. Is that fine? Jesus, Gary said, no, Gary. You want to to preach? No? Okay, well. (laughs) You can't fire me anymore because I don't work for Lifestyle. He used to be my boss. Um, It's a new day. It's a new day. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Jesus walks up to the man that's been on a mat for 40 years that doesn't know anything else, and he asks him, do you want to be healed? Like, I, I, I sense the Lord asking a church... In America, do you want to be healed? How far we've slipped with our programs, our innovative ways of doing things. And the man starts complaining, says, I have no one to pick me up and bring me into the water while healing is standing in front of him. Like, how much have we missed? He's knocking on the door. Can I dine with you again? Can I get back to a table with you again? So Jesus says, stand up and walk and pick up your mat, take it with you. And I asked the Lord one time, why did you ask him to pick up his mat? The Lord spoke to me and he said, this mat that has been his past, his, it represents the comfort of his life, all of his sin, all of his sickness, all of his disease. It's like he got comfortable laying there so much that he didn't even know how to respond when Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to be healed? more comfortable with his past than glory standing in front of him. No idea, has no understanding of what's in front of him. So this thing that represents his past, you always see it in scripture. Jesus saying, pick up your mat and walk. The disciples saying, pick up your mat and walk. Today in church, what we do is, is we get healed. We get off of the mat and the mat stays there with all of our junk on it. All of our all of our garbage from yesterday and it's dirty and we go to counseling sessions because we can't forgive and they tell you go and clean your mat when God's saying pick up your mat see listen and I'm not against counseling the Bible actually says in a in a there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors but there is one counselor who's better than any spiritual father you could ever have in your life what we do at our church is when people want counsel I ask them how much are you in the word How much time do you actually spend with God? Go and spend one hour with him and read your Bible and then we'll talk. There is one who is greater than any man on earth right now. And so he says, pick up your mat and walk. And what we do is is we leave it on the ground. We want to clean up our past. We want to fix what we did because we're full of regret, full of guilt, full of condemnation. And the only reason that I would want to clean up the mat is because I want to lay on it again. But what Jesus says is we overcome the accuser, the one that says, did he really say? Like, are you really free? Are you really healed or was it just emotional? Did you really get healed of migraines? 
did he really say? That, uh, that accusing, lying voice. Hey, remember that one time you did this? Are you really worthy to be a son? Really? Just like the devil came to Jesus, come on, if you be the son, did he really say? It's always religious. He asked, he asked Eve, don't you want to be like God? If I went to most churches and I said, how many of you want to be like God? Everyone's going to raise your hand. You just ate the same fruit. If, if Eve would have responded, I'm already like him. She would have never fallen. So we overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So you either can carry your past or you can pick up your mat called your testimony and show it to the world and say, look at all the junk. Look at what he did. In the Old Testament, they would take the bitter, they would take myrrh, and they would take cinnamon, and they would compound it together, it says. And when it was compounded together, it had to be perfect measurements. And when it was perfect, it produced the anointing. It produced the oil, the anointing oil. So what God does is he's so good that he'll take something so bitter in your life, like hurt and pain and and he'll take a little girl that was touched wrong at the age of three years old and has been carrying it in her 20s. And God will come and he'll say, wait till I add the sweet. And he'll come in and he'll compound it and you'll be crushed. And you'll be tried and you'll have to be crucified with him. But, but here's the deal. You don't just get crucified with him. You get raised with him. You get seated with him in heavenly places. And what happens is, is God will take a girl that's been touched wrong and he'll cause her to experience the love of God. The love of God that says, I would never touch you like that. You see, everything God says, everything God tells us to do is a reflection of his nature. So when he says in his Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery, saying, I would never cheat on you. Thou shalt not steal. I would never steal from you. Our God is a good father. So when God gets involved, when God gets into the picture and adds that sweet and compounds it together, what used to be the thing that held you down will become an anointing in your life. And God will use your life to win all these women that have been touched wrong and in sex trafficking and in everything that's going on in the world. We have to see, we have to know what he's done for us. But when we know what he's done, see, what was it with the apostles that they were beaten, they were whipped, and then they got back together in Acts 4, and they were celebrating about it. They all left him on the tree, all of them. But something happened after the Holy Spirit came, where it went from, we're all leaving, this Peter that denied him three times. Something happened after the Holy Spirit that caused these men to rejoice when they were beaten, that caused these men to not pray, Lord, rebuke them. You know, we call fire. We watch the news for 10 minutes. We want to call fire down from heaven. Can you believe this lady? What about pray for them? What about bless those who persecute you and use you? Whatever happened to when someone slaps you on this side, give them the other. What happened to when someone says, walk a mile, you walk too, just because? just because we're a Jesus people. This is not an hour to get caught up in the debate of this world. Turn the news off. Just get the good one in front of you. Man, it's, let me just give you a little like, it's gonna get darker. It's just what it's promised. 
But as it gets darker, the glory of the Lord will get brighter. We're not part of the system. He says, consecrate yourselves. Take yourselves out like in Joshua. They, they need to cross the Jordan. And he comes to Joshua and he says, consecrate yourselves to me because tomorrow I'm going to do wonders among you. It's where we are right now. So God comes and he switches everything. And these men go from running away from him to asking for boldness and courage after they've been beaten. You see, what, what was it that caused these men? It says that they were skinned alive. Some were skinned alive. Peter crucified and just to honor his king, he's crucified upside down. It says that they would be sawed in two. They put John in boiling oil and it didn't kill him. And we're in church with our issues. They prayed for boldness in Acts 4 and the room began to shake and the Holy Spirit filled them again. We need an outpouring with the Holy Spirit because God is, it says he's searching the earth to and fro to see whose heart is loyal to him. That word loyal is to see whose heart he can cleave to. If I can just find one in a city that would believe me. Wow, might be the Lord. I want to read this. This is 1 Peter 2. I mean, if you want to keep that on, it's fine. I like violins. 1 Peter 2, this is verse 7. It says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Everyone's attention. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. If you have a note, I want you to write on there, a rock of offense. A rock of offense. What is about to take place, and I'm just warning you tonight, what I'm going to deliver is not for everybody. Not everyone's going to be in this. Not everyone's going to be interested in this. And that's okay. Because God is going to find a remnant that's going to see his glory. And I know what we've decided as a church, what we've decided as a ministry, is that if everyone leaves, but the ones that stay see his glory, we'll be okay with that. I'm not interested in building a church. I'm not interested in building a ministry. I've seen big ministry. I've seen the stadiums and none of it, listen, with all the miracles that I saw, none of it saved my life. It wasn't until I encountered Jesus when no one was watching. And then miracles become a byproduct of knowing him. None of it can save you except him. If we are coming to our churches and all we're simply doing is giving the people the series for the week and there's no transformation. We are nothing more than a country club. We are nothing more than a childcare offering some time for parents to get away from their kids. See, this is the preaching that we don't like to hear. This, the ones that people are like, man, that's not going to grow a church. We're not interested in growing a church. We're interested in growing the church. And, and what God is seeking is 
the radical ones. What he told Peter when he said, upon this rock, which is Jesus, I will build my church. That rock is a fence. That rock of offense. I'm going to build my church on him and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. That word ecclesia, that word is in that time of day, it wasn't like a good word like we know church today. That word was the ones separated out, the misfits, the ones that don't seem to fit the system. The ones, the called out ones. It was as if he was saying, upon this rock, I will build my gang. I will build my ones that that don't fit in the world and the world will hate you because they hated me and religion will hate you worse. Tonight, a lot, I believe, more than anything, will be free from religion tonight because religion put Jesus on a cross. Man, God wants to rattle everything. So in Acts 2, this rock of offense Jesus says, it's good for you that I go and he goes and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He says, if I don't go, he won't come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is Jesus unlimited, is how my uncle would say it. Jesus being the fullness, the brightness of the glory of the Father was one man carried the fullness, and unless he died, he couldn't have multiplied. So he had to die, he had to go to the Father, because when he got there, the Holy Spirit now becomes the omnipresence of Jesus. And now Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, lives in me. And now he can be preaching in, in Waterman, Illinois, South Africa, and Brazil all at the same time. It was as Jesus got to this point where he said, I am the fullness. Listen to the humility of God. I am the fullness, but if I don't go, I can't multiply myself. There could be billions of me. The humility of Jesus that he would come as God wrapped in flesh and speak in parables being the revelation. Like just get get that picture in your mind. Jesus, this man that the waters supported his feet as he walked on them. This man that was the alpha, the omega, the galaxies and cosmos responded at his birth. At 12 years old, he's mesmerizing scholars in the temple, asking them questions of himself. It says he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And became the author of salvation. Just wrap your mind around that. Which means if he was going to be tempted at every point. He had to fulfill it exactly as a man. I love what Bill says. Bill Johnson says it like this. If everything Jesus did he did as God. It would make me go wow. But the fact he did it as man. Makes me hungry for a life that is possible. But think about this Jesus who shows up in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. You know that the Sea of Galilee is eight miles wide? Like, he might have just decided, I'm going to take a four-mile jog tonight, and I'm going to meet him in the middle, just because I can. But think about the humility that the crowds are, are coming and pressing at him, and he's on the edge of the sea. And then he goes and he says, Peter, can I use your boat? He didn't need Peter's boat. Do you realize that Jesus could have walked on water in front of all of them and preached his message on water? And they all would have bowed their knee in fear. But he asked for Peter's boat because he wasn't just interested in winning people by fear, but actually drawing people to want him. I don't need Peter's boat, but I needed Peter, so I'm going to use his boat. 
the humility of God that he would come wrap himself in flesh. My dad says it like this, that the most high God went to the lowest of lows so that he might fill all in all. What kind of Jesus do we serve that said, listen, I want to be seen only through you. Like what Solomon's talking about today, the universe that we've discovered 4% of it. Are you kidding me? How vast, how big afterward I went and I looked up facts about the universe on my phone and just sat there and was like completely a mess. Because I want you to consider something, all of it, all of everything, the cosmos, out of all of it. My dad says it's a speck in comparison to what's in you because the creator decided, I want this little Gary to be my everlasting habitation. What kind of humility do we serve in God? That out of everything, he chose, I want you. Little you, this little thing. I read that if you took, I read it today, if you took all the atoms of all of humanity and crushed them down, that all of us would be the size of one sugar cube. Just one. How little are we? And God goes, Wow, my image, my likeness. What kind of humility does God have that he would draw us in? And when you see that love, when you see that heart, you see, I used to obey him because if I didn't, I was worried about going to hell. And we scare people into giving their lives to Jesus because, listen, he's just a fire escape out of hell. Like, I didn't marry my wife because she has a nice house. She had nothing. I married her because I fell in love with her. I heard, I read A.W. Tozer, he said, anytime we preach the gospel without creating a special desire for a person, we simply have used Jesus as a means to get somewhere. Listen, Jesus is not a means to a destination. He is the destination. He's not like opening doors for me for my calling. He is the door. We have cute sayings, you know, brother, one door closes, another one opens. That's fine. But he is the door. He is the calling. It's not the hope of your calling, the hope of his calling. When you see that love, you're willing to give everything for it. And if you're not, you haven't tasted and seen it. People are like, why would I pay a price? What's the reward? If you're even asking what the reward is, you haven't tasted him in a closet. So in Acts 2... The Holy Spirit falls, and I love this. I I don't have time to read all of it. Is it already 9 o'clock? Wow. Okay. You guys all right? Okay, three people are okay. The rest of you okay? All right. Listen, like, what else are you going to go do? Go play volleyball? Go to your tent? It's about his presence. In Acts 2, listen, the Holy Spirit falls. It says they heard a sound. A sound that they had never heard before. And here's the result of that sound. It says that when the Holy Spirit fell, tongues of fire came and they got baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. Like John said, I baptize you with water, but one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He comes, this great baptizer, Jesus, and he baptizes them. And here was the result of that baptism. Listen, because I believe that revival like this this move that's going to awaken this dead church. And by dead church, I mean this church in America. This complacent Laodicea that has church without him in it. A Chinese missionary one time came from the underground church 
to the Church of America. And after they had done this conference, they asked him, if you could give us advice on anything, what would it be? And his response to them was, it's amazing how much you get done without the Holy Spirit. It's amazing what we can build like a Tower of Babel without him involved. And we can build monuments and think he's in it without any anointing whatsoever. So we need a revival. We need an outpouring of the Spirit. We need to die and let God come alive. We need to depend on Him again and not on our own strength. We need to fall on the chest of Jesus. And just like Jesus said, without Him I say nothing. I only do what I see the Father doing. And I only say what I hear the Father saying today. I love what she said today. We think we're leading the Lord. We have to learn how to be led again by Him. We have to give Him our churches again. We've got to learn what it means to minister to His heart again before we ever minister to people. So here is the response in Acts 2. It says that when when the Holy Spirit fell, that some were bewildered, some were confused, perplexed, some were amazed, and some mocked. And then later on in chapter 5 of Acts, it says that the Pharisees were jealous. So any genuine move of the Holy Spirit that doesn't produce confusion, jealousy, offense, there'll be amazement, there'll be healing, But if you just study any revival in the past, there was always rejection. If we think that there's not going to be offense, if we think that some in the church aren't going to like this, we are deceived. When the Holy Spirit fell, it offended many, especially the religious ones. It's like the woman busting into the room, pouring the oil on the feet of Jesus. And even his own disciples, it says that they were indignant. They were offended at her wasting it on him. The Lord is seeking a generation that's going to waste everything on him. Listen, this is is Luke 12, 49 through 53, and I'm almost done. It says, I came to send fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to bring peace on earth? Oh, this is so offensive. Do you suppose that Jesus came to bring peace on earth? This is not my message. This is what he said. I tell you, not at all, but rather division. (laughs) From now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against mother and father against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Yay. That's the verse. Do you know that there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper? Do you know that sometimes just trying to keep the peace enables sin? With everything going on in the world, this COVID-19, this racism with George Floyd, it's all demonic. This sex trafficking that's, no one's talking about that. Like, can I be, well, I can be free. I know you. We have riots and looting and no one's getting coronavirus when we do that. But in church, you can't sing. Are you kidding me? And we're silent about it. And as pastors, we just want to make sure that nobody's offended. So we say all the right things and do all the right things so that people keep coming back. We need to get back to the truth. Like, when is the last time that you heard a message on the judgment seat of Christ? Man, we don't preach that because everyone leaves. People are going to hell and we don't even care.
Jesus is peace. What Jesus does is he comes in the midst of chaos and gives peace to your heart. And everything around you might still be in chaos, but it doesn't affect you anymore. That's being a peacemaker. And all of a sudden, what used to cause anxiety and fear now just seems to, everything in your life just seems to produce joy and presence. That what used to hold you down now turns into revival. Like, like last year, Theo so eloquently talked about when, when Paul's on his way to Rome, but he ends up on an island called Malta. I'm called to Rome and he gets shipwrecked and God tells him you're going to be shipwrecked. And he doesn't go there and complain and cry and process with his friends, which is really just gossip. He tries to build a fire and just to top it off, a viper comes and bites him just to add to the bad day. And you never see him complain one time, but rather he prays for one man and the whole island breaks out in revival because one man, one man wasn't full of complaint, but full of God. Like God's like, who's willing to go to Malta? What about Malta? What about an island that will never hear the gospel? If I could just find one, what I could do on a whole island. It's going to be offensive. Not everyone's going to like you, but that's okay. They hated him. So I want to read this to you because, listen, if we want to move of the Spirit, it's going to cost us something. And in closing, I'm going to read this. This is some old revival history. Is that all right? Is it okay if I read that to you? You guys still alive? You getting sleepy? Been in the sun too long? It's going to just tell, I'm telling you, it's going to get more intense. There's some common threads among every move of God that we've seen. And there's two things that, now you can study this, this is history. There's two things that, that, that actually are the common thread through every revival and move of God. It says restorationism and rejection. That word restorationism and the motive behind it is movements that tear down walls of separation by a return to the practice of the original. That's what it means. Returning to the practice of the original. You know why I love GGG in this event? It's because it feels like the early church. The early church would say things like this. We are the church, those that laugh at death. Today we are afraid to go into public because of a virus. 100% of revivals dealt with rejection and offense, and oftentimes those in prior generations or more experienced ones saw it as a rebellion. The Jesus movement in the late 1960s and early 1970s says the Jesus movement was restorationist in theology, seeking to return to the original life of the early Christians. It was said a young generation was tired of religion. Do you realize that without the Jesus movement, we don't have electric guitars in church today? You realize that without the Jesus movement, we don't have drums in church today? And you know what the the previous generation said of it is it was rebellious. That's what people are saying about me in this room with my preaching today. It was rebellious. It was rejected. They would walk into churches not dressed like everyone else, but these were hippies. Some of you were a part of it. 
The Great Awakening in the 1700s, religion was becoming more formal and less personal during this time. Christians were feeling complacent with their methods of worship, and some were disillusioned with how wealth and rationalism was dominating culture. Many began to crave the Lord. The stage was set for a renewal of faith, and in the late 1720s, a revival began to take root as preachers altered their messages and got back to hunger for the pure word of God. The Azusa Street, which is one of my favorite, William Seymour was invited to preach at a church in Los Angeles, and when he arrived, he preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. But later, he was locked out of the church because they rejected his teaching. One of the church members that had been impacted by his message invited William to have meetings at his house, and the Lord broke out. The participants were criticized by some secular media media and Christian theologians for behaviors considered to be outrageous and unorthodox, especially at that time. A resident of the neighborhood described the happenings at the house and said this. This is an actual resident. Said this. They shouted for three days and three nights. Maybe like what your neighbors are thinking right now. They shouted for three days and three nights, and it was the Easter season. The people came from everywhere. By the next morning, there was no way of getting near the house. As people came in, they would fall under God's power, and the whole city was stirred. They shouted until the foundation of the house actually gave out, but no one was hurt. That's an actual account of Azusa Street. Now, here's how it started. Ready? William Seymour was a black man not allowed in a white church. Oh, if you see this, it so convicted me. They told William Seymour, who was a a young man hungry for the Lord, to stay in the hallway. As the rest of the church worshipped in the sanctuary, and he wasn't allowed to even answer the altar call. The humility of this man that was rejected and sent to the hallway, still hungry and able to receive from a white preacher. This is the church. This is what Jesus says, is when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, blessed are you. When you get hit on the other cheek, you give them the other one. Our king hanging on a tree saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And today we want our rights? Are you kidding me? This man in a hallway, getting filled with the power of God, being rejected. And he pushes through and he preaches the gospel. And revival breaks out. And you know that it says this, 600 million people can bring their spiritual roots back to that house on Azusa Street. 600 million because one man chose not to be offended and we have an entire generation that is offended just one willing to actually be like Jesus today we are looking at the color of our skin are you kidding me what does it say do not see anyone according to the flesh racism still are you kidding me Man, how far have we gone? I know that this is not comfortable. I didn't come here to preach a comfortable message, but the truth. How far has the church gone? Those secret things in your heart, it needs to get out. What started with rejection turned into revival. And he is one of the most honored men today of the faith. 
what does he say? I will cause the humble to come up and I will cause pride to go low. Toronto Blessing, so many manifestations were happening that they took a survey because of the controversy around it. 90% said they were more in love with Jesus than they had been at any other point in their lives. And 88% of married respondents stated that they were also more in love with their spouse by just being in the room. Our friend Tom Rotolo actually went to the Toronto Blessing. He said, I was all in my mind trying to figure out God through intellect. How many of you know God can't be received in your brain? He has to be received in your heart, and then he transforms the way that you think. He said, I was so stuck in my intellect, and, and I pulled my car into the parking lot in Toronto, and my car began to shake. That'll mess with your dignity and logical thinking a bit. The Brownsville revival started because a remnant was hungry to get right with God. During the revival, nearly 200,000 people gave their lives to the Lord in just about five years. Listen, you can't have revival without friction. You cannot have a move of the Spirit without rejection. We can't have a move without something hating what we're doing. It's proof that it's a genuine move of the Spirit when everything comes against it. Can I get the entire worship team? Listen, Romans 8, 19 says this, that creation is groaning for the sons of God to be made known. The whole point, like Solomon and Gary had talked about, is are you known? If the world looks at you and you don't look any different, if the world can look at a people and say there's nothing about them that's different than me, then we are not known to creation. And everything that Solomon described today, all of it is waiting for you to take your place. All of it. Groaning, it says, with great expectation, like like on tiptoe going, will these be the ones? Man, I feel it for the young people. Will you be the generation? Will you be the ones that won't compromise this truth to be politically correct? So politically correct today. The only answer is Jesus, but Jesus is a rock of offense. The only answer is Jesus, but Jesus was rejected by men yet chosen by God. What do you think is going to happen to you? If you can't, you can't suffer with him, you can't live with him. If you're not willing to pay a price, we will not see revival. I'm so thankful that Theo pastorally spoke before me. I'm not mad at anyone. I'm mad at a devil that has lied to the church and taken away the identity of a bride that is meant to make herself ready. A bride that is not just playing church and sleeping, but actually has their oil in their lamp ready because the king is coming. Playtime's over. We need to get out of the debate of the world. Like if someone comes and asks you for an opinion, don't give them an opinion. Give them the word. I heard one time T.D. Jakes on TV, they asked him about same-sex marriage. I love his response. He said, well, what I think is really irrelevant, but let me tell you what the word says. The Lord's seeking a radical people, and it's not for everybody. But the ones, the remnant, will win everybody. 
like Joel 2, this, this generation, it says they climb into the windows. They climb up the walls of cities. So in other words, you won't be able to get away from them. These people that have found truth. Can you stand with me? Can I get someone in the pulpit? Creation is groaning for the sons of God to be made known. And if we want to move of the Holy Spirit, we have to be willing to pay a price. I've watched my family pay a price, and I've watched stadiums all over the world with people running to altars. I can honestly say before the Lord, almost every single major general that I personally know at some point or another was touched by the Holy Spirit in one of my uncle's meetings. And that's not to like glorify my uncle. That's to say just one who started with rejection, just one, was willing to pay a price that affected generations to come, that affected my kids and their kids and their kids because of one yes. You see, Gary and Gail have no idea what their yes means right now. We can only see it in part. But what, what are Kelly and Solomon's? Are you listening to me, Solomon? What are Kelly and Solomon's kids going to be like? What is Rebecca going to walk in? Because just one was willing to surrender all. Listen, the rich man came to Jesus. He said, what must I do to be your disciple? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And here's Jesus' response. Follow the commandments. And he says, Lord, I do that. And he says, okay, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. And he couldn't do it. And Jesus responds and he says, unless you forsake all, everyone say all. Unless you forsake all, you cannot be my disciple. He says, he who hates, who doesn't hate his father, his brother, his mother, his friend, is not worthy of me. He's not saying to hate your parents, but what he's saying is if I am not number one, if I am not the first priority, if I am not everything, you are not worthy of me. Only one person is worthy to say that, the one who gave everything for you. Listen to this. I need everyone's attention. It's just chairs. Don't get so distracted. Listen. The Lord will never, ever ask anything of you that he hasn't already done for you. So when God says, give me everything, it's because he gave you everything. When he says, love me, it's because he has said it a million times before we ever even spoke in our mother's womb. We love him because he first loved us. He hung on a tree, unoffended, unashamed, as guilty sin, yet being innocent so that you and I might have life, the least we can do. We want mantles from this man and that man. If a mantle of wood is not the closest thing to your back, he says, unless you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What could the Lord do in Waterman, Illinois, with just a few that are saying yes? What could the Lord do in the United States? What did Jesus do with 12 We want the 5,000. The 5,000 were needy and hungry. But when he wanted to give the secrets of his heart, he found 12 men. I remember when we started the church, the Lord said, why don't you start with 12 like I did? Just 12. That gave a yes to Jesus that said, Lord, my yes is as if I am saying, don't spare me. 
We didn't just come here this like, you didn't just show up because of the good barbecue. This was ordained from the beginning of time for you to be in this seat tonight because God wants to release something in the earth and he needs you to do it. A generation that's saying, God, we're willing to pay a price to answer that cry that creation has been crying from the beginning. When will the sons of God be seen? who are not caught up in the systems of this world, but come from a different perspective called the kingdom of heaven. Before we are citizens of the United States of America, we are citizens of heaven. And it's time that we take our rightful place and we get back to the truth and we stop playing church and we actually say we are the church. Those that laugh at death, those that cast out devils, those that heal the sick and raise the dead. That becomes normal to us. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to our GGG event recording. To get involved with our growing community or to connect with us, reach out to us on our website, gggministry.com, or any of our other social media platforms. It's really been an honor serving you all, and I pray blessings and favor over each of you and your families. Thank you. 